This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to another edition of Shattered Lives, the Irish Daily Star and Irish Mirrors crime podcast. I'm Paul Healy. I am crime correspondent for both papers and I'm joined as ever by Michael O'Toole. He is our crime and defence editor. Hello, Michael. Hello, Paul. How are you? Good. We're getting back into the swing of things, doing our Monday pods. Although I I do see that someone did complain on social media that we're not doing enough of them. Uh, I wish we had the time, let alone the energy or the even the the brain power to come up with a pod every day and fair play to those who do. But uh, well, I think we're lack- sadly lacking in all three, Paul, really. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we like to come on when we have things to discuss and also when we have the time to do so. Uh, forgive us, dear listeners, but we are doing the day job as well and doing our best to uh, to do that job. But we also love doing the pod. So when we when we can do it, we can do it. We try to do it every week, at least once a week, maybe twice a week. The aim is Monday, Tuesday or Thursday. So that's the plan going forward if anybody is curious and just to stress you're quite right this is it's a labor of love it's it's a new sort of journalism for us uh because i'm very old the journalism is always very linear so for me i got my story and put it in the paper so this interweb thing has been fantastic just not even for this but things like twitter and putting our stories up online so this is it's really new for us but it is it's not our day job but it's a great hobby shall we say Yes, well, a hobby we still do as part of our day job and get paid for it, to be fair, but we like it. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, look, we're going to discuss the uh, the the court of feud and the latest uh, in relation to it. Uh, there have been developments. Um, we only hear, as we were saying in the previous pod, we're lucky if we hear 10% of what goes on. And really in the last week, the question on every journalist uh, covering this mind is what's the story with the funerals? Because, you know, at this stage, look, uh, both men um, have been deceased for uh, quite some time. Obviously, Tristan Sherry was uh, killed uh, in Brown's Steakhouse there in Blanchardstown, West Dublin on the 23rd. So uh, sorry, the 24th uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, so it's all, all over over three weeks at this stage. Uh, since he has been killed uh, and yet uh, we were curious as to why there was no funeral so our understanding was that there was a second post-mortem done on Mr Sherry an independent post-mortem so a family can request that there's various different circumstances as to why another post-mortem might be completed but there's also lots of other factors here that maybe we don't have the full story on there are security concerns around these funerals more so than maybe ever before that that I that in recent times that I've heard of other than outside of the Kinnan Hutch feud um serious security concerns in particular about the funeral of Tristan Sherry so Mick you had a story today you have learned and and indeed we all now have heard uh it confirmed uh, that the funeral of Tristan Sherry is the one that's going to take place first and that's taking place tomorrow Yes, and that's going to be in Finglas. He was from Finglas originally, and I think it's it's smart. It's about half eleven tomorrow morning. That would be Tuesday, depending on when this goes out. Yes. So Tuesday morning, half eleven. Um, it is very strange. 
so it's more, as you say, it's more than three weeks since Mr. Sherry died in that incident uh, in State Brown Steakhouse, and uh, four people are charged with this. So we'll have to be very careful. But we, you know, obviously, you know, he was a victim of a homicide, so that's fine. So I can't really remember a body being so waiting so long for a body to be released for a funeral. So there's obviously things, and as you say, Paul, we don't really know. We did believe. I think there was some suggestion or there's some strong belief that it was going to be last week. But for whatever reason, things do happen. And, you know, sometimes we're housed by our own petard, I suppose, that we write things and we think we're right and then events change and the paper doesn't. But that's just the way it goes. It's happening. But so over the weekend, I was doing some research into this and I did get a sniff that Gardy would have expected Mr. Sherry's funeral to take place on Tuesday. Now, just as a small aside, on Sunday night, um. I then got information to say it could be happening today. So mm. we sort of had to change the paper. But then at about half 11, I got information, no, no, I think it's going to be on Tuesday. So we had to go back to plan A. But that's just the nature of our job. You you know, you just have to go with whatever you have. So we had Tuesday, brought it back to Monday, and then I think we finalised it for Tuesday. And I think we were, we were proved correct on that. So that's going to be on Tuesday. We can talk about the security in a while. Jason Hennessy, who was the man who was, sh- who was shot and subsequently died in that incident, he hasn't been buried either. So he died. It was, I think it was, it was the 4th of January uh, that he died, wasn't it? It was the ne- Thursday, two, Thursday nearly, the 4th. Nearly two weeks now, yeah. Yes. And so he had been in Conley Hospital. They had been expecting Mr. Hennedy to, to survive, but he, his condition did deteriorate. He was moved to the matter and he, he sadly lost his life there. So my understanding is that Gardy are planning for that funeral being at the end of this week. Now, by that, I mean, it could be Friday. It could be Saturday. The wake could be on Thursday, and if that is the case, then the funeral will be on Friday. Or the wake could be on Friday, and if that is the case, then it will be on Saturday. But I'd be pretty happy at this stage that both men's funeral masses uh, and burials will have taken place by the end of this week. And it, it's, as I say, it's quite a long time. Yeah, and, and people might be asking the question, well, why are we, um, and it almost seems a bit ghoulish, uh, uh, why are we focusing so much on the funerals of these individuals? Well, it's really because of, and this is where the crime story comes in, it, because of the security concerns involved in these funerals and the amount of uh, resources that has to go into the policing of the funeral itself and the aftermath of the funeral, um, and, and and like that 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 is what makes this, I suppose, a legitimate story. It's not that we're necessarily interested in covering, although it will be, I'm sure, well covered the funeral of Tristan Cherry. It's that look, there are concerns, uh, genuine concerns, um, ab- about the security around this funeral because of the individuals we're speaking about, and that would be associates of the late. Jason Hennessy Sr., um, some of whom are considered to be very, very dangerous individuals, criminals who are well known to Gardaí. And they're as we've said before on this pod, they're very volatile and unpredictable individuals. And as a result of that, Gardaí have to prepare themselves for all eventualities. So I, I was actually up at the church there in Finglas uh, earlier today. Um, there were lots of reporters floating about. Um, look at just trying to get a feel for the area and that and you can see that there is uh, an obvious uh, an open guard of presence there already uh, in the heart of Finglas so they are preparing for as I said all eventualities and we saw uh, an actual search team openly there uh, around the funeral home and basically doing a sweep of the premises to ensure that there is no obvious threat uh, around the building so that shows you the scope of this that there are they, I mean it's 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 not like they're hiding this they are doing everything they can to make sure that everything goes off without a hitch I, I think they are worried and I think 
there would be intelligence or evidence of a threat against property and the person herself, a lady who would be an, would have been an, an associate of Mr. Sherry. So I think that threat mm-hmm. has been taken very seriously. And, you know, we do have to stress there are associates of the late Jason Hennessy who are extremely unpredictable and volatile. So we just don't know what they're going to do. And I think Gardy, as you say, they have to hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. So, you know, I think there'll definitely be a major security operation for the this Jerry funeral. But then, you know, the other scenario is that the associates might wait until after Mr. Hennessy is buried before trying to do something. So it's 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 a sort of a week long headache, and it will continue after that because, as I say, they're very very volatile people. Yeah, and as you you've just mentioned there, and we we'll be running a story on that. Um, and again, it shows the the reality of this. That that is an innocent woman who. Uh, mm-hmm. very credible threat uh, uh, surrounds her. Um, you know, that's the scary reality of this. It's not like we're just talking about gangsters going after gangsters here. There are innocent people uh, associated on both sides who are caught up in this. And and, and you've been told from your sources that this person, um, that she is in danger. Yeah, it's, it's a credible threat. And not only against her, but also against her property. So, yeah, look, I, I think it is fair to say that Guardia are um, extremely worried about what could happen either this week or later on. You know, I do think there are going to be consequences about what happened in that uh, diner that night that will will probably go on for quite some time. And then in terms of the investigation into that, I mean, obviously we have to be careful in relation to uh, the death mm. of Mr. Sherry because you said there's, as we've said, there's four people charged in relation to that. Uh, but the death of Jason Hennessy is a separate uh murder investigation and uh, it's a fluid one where do we think that that lies now there's two things and they're they're both been taken very very seriously we know that the hit team was a two-person team so it was tristan sherry who went in to the restaurant with a machine pistol and then there was another man an unsub the americans would say who didn't get to fire off any shots we don't think panicked when jason hennessy bravely confronted Sherry and and then uh, Mr. Sherry was shot uh, or Mr. Hennessy was shot Uh, and then what happened after that is now subject of a a court case but that's the second killer because it is it is a you know Mr. Hennessy is dead it's a murder inquiry so the second person Hmm. was part of a, a hit team and is part of a murder team so that person is being investigated for the murder of Mr. Hennessy so the guards are basically trying to find that person now here's the other thing I wonder was there a third person? Was there a getaway driver? Or did the second person, was was he the getaway driver? I would suspect it was a two-man hit team and a getaway driver. So there's there's pro- probably three people who were involved in that attempt to attempt the murder and the murder of Mr. Hennessy. So the guards are, you know, mm. obviously Tristan Sherry's dead, but the other person or persons are out there and the guards are, are absolutely 100% looking for them. The other issue, which is just as troubling for the guards is, we know that when Tristan Sherry was tackled, someone took the machine pistol off him and the machine pistol is not it was not in that restaurant. And that's a very, very, very dangerous piece of kit. And the guards are looking for that. Yes, and last week a, a teenage, 18-year-old uh, uh, boy, man, whatever, 18 years, very young, uh, was arrested um, on suspicion of concealing that weapon 
um, had been released without charge. So there's a file gone to the director of public prosecutions over that. And I, I think that um, there are expected to be further arrests in relation to that. But the guards haven't found that gun. Um, but they have strong suspicions as to who mm-hmm. may be responsible for uh, taking it out of the restaurant that night and, and, and indeed hiding it. Can I just mention one thing? You mentioned funerals. Look, it is a distasteful aspect of what we do. I, I defend it. I think it's part of journalism and it's part of what we do. Some mm. people may find it distasteful. That's no problem. Um, it's a job that we have to do. I've done more than enough gangland funerals. Some people do get vexed at it. Most people, I think, are very, very dignified. Uh, and we try and maintain a, 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 a low-key presence. In my mind, we try and leave as small a, p- a footprint as possible. But, you know, I think there is a public interest in this. And, and, and I will defend that. Others can disagree, that's fine. But I will tell you, in 2006, you met, uh, a lady called Baiba Salite was murdered in North Dublin. She was from Latvia. And uh, Jim, Jim Walpole, who was our photographer at the time, and I went over for that funeral. Sarah McInerney was there. Mm. She's now an RT. She was working for the Sunday Tribune. Remember, she was there. There were uh, there were a couple of us. There were six or seven Irish journalists at it because it was a big story. Because there were it was a massive investigation and massive story at the time. But the interesting aspect is the family welcomed us into the church, and they actually filmed mm. it themselves. So there's a a, a a tradition over there, and the casket was open. So they they brought us in. They let us take pictures in the church, and they filmed it themselves. Mm. So I suppose every country. Really is different, but that that was the Latvian way. Yeah, and and just in terms of gangland funerals, I, I suppose they are at times often an opportunity for, and I, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but but an opportunity for you know a reflection on. I mean, there's a religious aspect, you know, and and a, 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 we've 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 experienced this where where the local priest has used the homily to call for peace and to call out uh, the violence that's going on. So that is obviously of interest to us reporters as well, to report that and to broadcast that. And I mean, they say that often knowing that it's going to be broadcast. So that's why it's important to cover these things as well. Yeah, and it's, I mean, look, it's a a human being's death. And for me, it's a, I mean, the first funerals I did was during, at the end of the Troubles up north. Mm. And there was probably a slightly because there were some there've been so many i think there was probably a more accepting view of media uh, uh, funerals up there because they were just so like for example the priest would bring you in you'd probably be brought over to the side room you could listen to the homily and all that sort of stuff and you know so you know there obviously there was a lot of there were a lot of gun murders during the troubles and, and killings so i just find that different when i came down here but look, it is look. It's it's not the best part of our job. Let's be honest, but it's a story that we have to do. Yeah, and also, I mean, you you learn things from covering these funerals. I mean, I, I don't know if it's quite on the same scale, but I often recall the the funeral of David Byrne, and I mean that was obviously a high profile gangland funeral with individuals um, from the actual Kinahan cartel, many of whom we didn't know the identity of or exactly what they looked like, and. From an intelligence point of view, not just from the guards, but from us as journalists, we were able to identify who was at that funeral and uh, Mm -hmm. isolate in our heads who these individuals were. And so from that perspective, it can also be uh, fruitful as well. Um, Just on the subject of I want to move on from the from the incident in Browns, but we said on the pod last week that this might be going in the direction of being a personal dispute with Tristan Sherry. But as you've mentioned, there could be 
two or three other people involved in this and as I said, this situation is fluid. And while we might hear one thing one week, we could hear the direct opposite. That doesn't mean we're wrong. It's just we're not privy to all of the information, as we've said. And I think that we are getting a sense that this has the potential to become a wider conflict because of the under, other individuals that might have been involved that night. We're not part of the investigation team. We're not in the incident room. We don't hear the intelligence. We don't hear all the stuff that's given. So, you know, we do rely on scraps. And, you know, Someday, at the start, they could have said ex-criminal was involved and then they ruled that person out. And then they could say at the start, ex-person was involved and then suddenly ex-person does come into it. I mean, they're dynamic and they're, they're, they're fluid. So, you know, mm. we often only get, as I say, the scraps. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. But look, I think they were looking very much that this was driven by Tristan Sherry, but maybe somebody put him up to it. Maybe somebody paid him. We just don't know. Yeah, and, and but but also, you know, we're not privy to what the the gangsters think and what and and what their suspicions may be. If you think back to the Kinnahan Hutch feud, I mean, the Kinnahans identified people that they believed were involved, and then they targeted them, rightly or wrongly. You know, uh, there were people murdered in the Kinnahan Hutch feud. Uh, an example I can think of is 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 Michael Barr. I mean, Michael Barr was targeted, shot dead in the Sunset House because they believed he was directly involved in the Regency Hotel incident. Uh, you know, they're not guards, they're not investigators. They just believed he was involved and they took him out as a result of it. And then there was a man called Darren Cairns, who was a friend yeah. of Dahi Douglas. And the Kenyans, I know the Kenyans targeted, both Darren Cairns was murdered, Dahi Douglas in November 2015. Uh, Dahi Douglas, it was after the attempt on Daniel Kenyan at the Red Cow Hotel. Oh, I think a day later, Di Douglas walked with his dog in camera and was shot and survived. In New Year's mm-hmm. Eve 2015 and into 2016, they shot Darren Cairns. The Kennans shot Darren Cairns in a pub in North Dublin. And then in July 2016, they got Dahi Douglas again. And I can tell you, Foursquare, those men were killed because the Kennans believed they were involved in the murder attempt on Daniel Kennan. And they mm-hmm. weren't, the guards heard this intelligence and they, they knew that they were in a pub. I think there was a bit of a shamazel or something and they had, you know, they had them in a pub at a certain time and they couldn't have got to the Red Cow because this was over, it was, it was Northside somewhere, Bicabra, somewhere like that. And they couldn't have got there in time. But that doesn't matter. You know, the Kennans just did it because that's what they thought. They're not police officers. They don't have to worry about rules or anything like that. So yeah, it's it, entirely chaotic. Yeah, they, they don't wait. They don't care. If they think someone's involved, they're just going to, yeah, you know, and that's, I think, probably a fear here as well. Just on West Dublin, you covered a, a, a court appearance there on Friday uh, in relation to a firearm seizure in Finglas back in 2022. So two brothers were up in court. Yeah, Glenn Ward is 30 and Eric O'Driscoll, his younger brother, is 22. And they both appeared in Dublin District Court on Friday afternoon and we were all there for it. Glenn Ward is charged with two offences, possessing a firearm and recklessly discharging a firearm. Mr O'Driscoll is charged with uh, other firearms offences as well, including discharging a firearm, possessing the two firearms and possessing ammunition. So they were remanded in custody. There was an interesting aspect of this and obviously it's subjudice, but it was an interesting aspect that there was a defence request. Nal O'Connor, who was the solicitor, said that he requested that the judge ask the media not to disclose the prison. There, they, there was no bail application, so they were remanded in custody with consent. The judge, Mr O'Connor, asked the judge not to ask us not to publicise the prison. 
the next time there's a court case or the location of the next court case. So um, the judge said she was going to go with this and she said, unless anybody wants to, she said, I'm aware that there are members of the media here, so unless anybody wants to address me. So I was sitting beside Reynolds. So I volunteered Reynolds. So Reynolds, he's a senior man. He stood up and he said, well, I'm just wondering, judge, is there any legislative basis for this? And the judge was given an answer and I elbowed him and I said, Paul, ask, is it an order or a request? And he went, judge, is it an order or a request? And the judge said, it's a recommendation. So I I, I, I don't think any media could really turn that down if a judge asks you, because Mr. O'Connor did say that there are serious concerns and that the Guardi are aware of these serious concerns about both men. So they have been remanded in custody and they will be appearing again in the coming weeks. But we won't be saying where. Or when. That's the, the great Paul Reynolds of RTE that you're referring to, by the way, yeah, just in him. case people haven't caught that. Yeah. Um, who gets mercilessly <laughs> volunteered to do uh, the heavy lifting at times. Well, you know, I always think, <laughs> look, Reynolds is he's, he's the face of crime journalism in Ireland, in my opinion, right? You and I, people might know what we look like. And I've had, I've been, have you ever been in the Jacks and somebody goes up to you and said, uh, Paul Haley? No, thankfully not, Mick. No, <laughs> it happened to me once, and you, you sort of and you do get on guard, you know. But I, like, but I think you and I could largely walk down the street and we're grand. Whereas Paul, once you're an RT, you're famous. So really, there were seven or eight journalists there, but the only one that really mattered was Paul because everybody knows who he is and what he looks like because he speaks to the nation every day. So he's our spokesman. So you know, he gets all the benefits of being the RT man, so he can take the responsibility. <laughs> I'm sure he. Plus, I like telling them what to do. <laughs> I like guarding them about. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's that's as much as we can say about that case because um, I just want to explain this to people that I mean, most people do get it, but social media sometimes would make you think uh, that people don't get it. But I mean, that some people have genuinely asked, you know, why haven't you said this and that and whatever when something is like you mentioned the phrase sub judice, but even mm-hmm. that might. Uh, confuse some people when something is before the courts you got to stick to what's said in the courts unless it's the special criminal court so you have literally just given a, a beat for beat court report there uh, the full details will come out if and when it goes to trial you got to leave it at that can I give you a perfect example Paul and I'm going to bring you in this during the Iceland Murphy trial the amount of disinformation that was doing the rounds about it was effectively that uh the, the the conspiracy was the Guardian and the government were conspiring with media to keep out the fact that Aisling Murphy had been stabbed. Do you remember all that? Now you, I don't know, you were up to your tonsils. Do you used to infuriate me reading all this stuff on TikTok and Twitter and everything? That wasn't the case. I mean, as I said, on, on the, the week of her murder, we had that, they, that she had been stabbed and that they were looking for her, the murder weapon. I am not responsible for the other media. If they don't have this, if their sources didn't tell them this, that's their problem. But we had that. But there was just, I just loved the way, I think it was because Josef Puska was a foreigner. They sort of were saying that we were trying to batten this down for some reason. And I didn't really understand it. It, It's never that complex. It's always simple. The media that had it wrote about it. In other words, we knew about it. The media that didn't have it didn't know about it. And Sinead, that happens, but there's no massive conspiracy. But also, if you recall from the the trial, you know, there were a certain amount of witnesses that saw the full extent of Ashling Murphy's injuries. And in those early days, 
I would say a small pool of people really knew the full extent of what she had suffered. Mm-hmm. And when people bring up the strangulation factor, I just want to point out what that Dr. Sally Ann Collis, the, um, the state pathologist, she did actually say, and she did examine whether there was a possibility that she might have suffered strangulation. She wasn't able to rule that out entirely. Now, obviously, the 11 stab wounds were the cause of death. Mm-hmm. Um, God, if only we were privy to such level of detail 24 hours into a murder investigation. We're not always. Sometimes our sources are very good. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes investigations are kept tight. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're not. Um, there's no grand conspiracy. Yeah, you're right. And it's frustrating to see um, the rise of that kind of talk. Again, it's social media to blame that there is some sort of grand conspiracy between government and mm-hmm. Gardaí and media uh, and, and i got to be careful here because there are matters before the courts, but everybody knows about that horrific, terrible incident in Parnell Square um, before Christmas um, when that poor child was, was egregiously injured. The last thing any journalist wanted to do was to cover up and hide and conceal the facts of that. In fact, every single day, you and I, and I'm sure every other journalist in the country that was working on it, was scavenging to get as much information as possible and some of the information was being kept tight for obvious reasons because matters were completely inflamed at the time as we know um you know the riots (laughs) so look we we fought to get as much information as we could i just want to point out sorry um that on that you know uh, kudos to not that they needed to and not that they should have needed to but to to that child's mother and Mm -hmm. father who ultimately made the call whether they were advised or not, to put out updates on the GoFundMe and to tell people how their daughter was doing. And that was their own right. But it wasn't the right of media to get into the medical facts as to how that child is doing every single day. There was no grand conspiracy, no cover-up. Yeah, so as I always lecture you guys, Occam's Razor, it's one of the things that I live by in life. In other words, the simple answer is usually the right answer. So if the media didn't publicise something, I'd say it's probably because we didn't have it. Why would we, Nick O'Toole or Paul Healy from the Star in the Mirror, do you think the government even knows who we are? Really? No. You know, we're not exactly, you know what I'm saying? We're not, we don't move in the, we don't go, I was in government buildings once this year for the, the, the budget briefings and God, it was great because they were all having coffee and tea and cakes and everything. Oh, this is a bit of a life. It's not my world. I don't move in that world. We are street beat reporters. We don't hobnob with these people. Are they going to ring us up and say, Michael, please leave that out. It's just nonsense. So I'm getting tired, really, and I'm sure you're getting them. The messages, the mentions and all on Twitter and everything, just just let us do our job. We have what we can, we print what we can. There's no interest in us holding stuff back. Mm. And this is something I've given out about today because once again, found ourselves and myself here trying to find out the truth about a particular story that um spread on social media and on whatsapp for some reason when something gets sent to you in whatsapp you kind of think there's some sort of legitimacy to yeah. it because someone someone has sent it to you in a text but it's a text that's been forward and forward and forwarded. so this was i'm not going to say beat for beat what it was because mm-hmm. it is i think a little bit harmful but it, i mean it was a rumor about the death of a of an irish celebrity mm-hmm. and uh in very tragic circumstances and so we obviously had to go and check that out and it's complete bullshit of course it's not true but that didn't stop it spreading and yeah i i can't I, i'm beginning to kind of lose it with the amount of times that we are now spent 
trying to fight this misinformation and disinformation that spreads. Uh, it, it's it's crazy. That's become our job nearly. Well, yeah, there's two aspects to that. I do worry about misinformation and disinformation. So, But I do want to draw a, a difference between I think it's really important that people tell us things. Yep. No matter how outlandish it could be, you tell me and I'll check it out. Check and if I can... Yeah. Right? So I would not want people not to tell us things. Just fart and I don't mind. Tell, send me 20 things in a day if you want me to check them out. No problem. But don't be coming at me with Michael. You're, you're a World Economic Forum or a New World Order stooge and you're all there. It's just <laughs> bollocks. Right? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think there's a difference there but you're quite right. I mean, that one today... Uh, he, how can I put this? You know, the the, per, the person was named, and that was egregious. Mm. That was really, really egregious. So, but you know what? We checked it, and it's not true. Yeah, and I mean, look, it had a connection to a very real tragic incident that did mm. happen, uh, and a and a shocking video. Again, I don't know why people take videos of horrific tra- tragedies, personal tragedies, and then to attach to it this false story. It's just disgusting. Mm. But uh, I believe efforts are being made for that by Angard Shiakana to have that video taken down uh, from where it is on social media. I'm not going to point people to it, but I'm sure they might know what I'm referring to. Um, that's the other thing. You, you're, you're kind of, whether you like it or not, you're, you're subject to these rumors. They just get pushed in your face by the algorithm now. Um, it scares me. I think what scares me is that uh, even though you and I are going and checking these things out as you say and that's the job of a journalist it scares me that more and more people are getting only getting their information from social media and that's a scary reality that we're in because more and more it's becoming separated from reality just speaking about that incident in Parnell Square an individual went out and filmed themselves outside the hospital and declared with great confidence that the state was covering up the death of that child and which was uh, an egregious and, and disgusting thing to say and was completely untrue. It was actually worse because it was outside government buildings and somebody said the way they portrayed themselves is it was as if they were doing a news report. I don't know if they had a microphone or whatever, but it looked like a PDC, a, P, a piece to camera. I thought it was very professionally yeah. done. Still and it up. had hundreds, hundreds of thousands of views. Yeah, still up, yeah. Yeah, and people were still saying to us, Michael, would you ever report the real facts that poor child is dead and why are you covering mm-hmm. this up? What, what 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 can we do? We knew that we knew what the case was. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? It's up it's it's up to the parents and, and you're right fair play to the mother. Will we talk about the the riots briefly? Yeah. So uh, obviously there was significant millions of euro worth. I mean we know that there was the Lewis seven fire and that was that was destroyed. That was a three and a half million euro damage to that alone. But there was significant damage all over Dublin. So. There's a special uh, incident room, a special unit at Store Street Guard Station in, in North Central Dublin. That's the basis. That's the base for the investigation. Now, my understanding is they've got something like 20,000 hours of CCTV footage and they're going through that. Now, there are about between 150 and 200 suspects that they're going after. Now, wow. I had this out with somebody. I was going about the identified and that person said, hey, I'm going to quibble with identified. And in often though there was a lot of those cases, more than half, maybe over a hundred, people have been nominated. In other words, that's Joe Bloggs, that's him, right? Because we did a story saying that people are being shopped by family members and friends who are horrified. So there is the Garda confidential line, but they are going through this. And Garda, you're looking at pictures and going, I, I remember that fella. So what they're doing is they're 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 trying to build up a case against people who they believe it is and trying to identify them, but. Just one very quick point. I think the was it the ICCL did a piece about um, 
Garda cameras and you know, what do you call it, facial recognition. And they brought up the the the, the whole thing about the, the the riots and going, look, they were masked. And it sort of missed the point. The 20,000 hours of CCTV, it's not just from the riots because people put on face masks during the riots, but then they took them off and went down the road. And so the Garda have a network and there's a whole huge network of CCTV cameras, not just Garda ones, but private ones, business ones, all over Dublin. So you can pick somebody up and say, well, look, he's wearing yellow Nikes and he's got the same runners and he's got the same shoe trousers and he's got the same clothing. So that's that person. So then they can see him without the, the facial coverings on and then they can identify that person. And that's what they're doing. So it's not just from the riots. It's before and after. And one thing they are considering doing is they're considering releasing images of some people that they have are satisfied themselves were involved in the riots but haven't identified them yet. So in other words, they're basically a rogues gallery of people that they want to identify. So that might happen sooner rather than later. Oh, like on Crime Call? Exactly. Exactly, Mundo. So it'll be something like that. Wow. Mm. Well, it's a huge investigation. And I remember Drew Harris saying, I think it was before one of the local policing committees that this would be a huge investigation mm. that could take a very long time so he's trying to expedite that and have um potentially help uh, with the face facial recognition stuff from potentially outside forces so i don't know whether that's that's necessarily happening would we get confirmation of that but... it's all part of it and also mm. you know there are some very serious offenses i mentioned the the lewis tram mm. That I, I find it very hard to watch. That poor Garda sergeant who was assaulted. Did you did you watch that on O'Connell yes. Bridge? Terrible to yeah. watch. But the other the other. I mean, we know that uh, the the Garda have a was it a, a toe amputated? He had his toe amputated. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, out of work as a result of it. Um, and there were yeah. some there were some really bad videos of Garda being chased and attacked. It was really really bad to watch. So there are serious offences, indictable offences, you can call them. So it's five years in prison. So it's before a judge and jury. So the guards call it a charge sheet. So somebody was saying to me, there are going to be some very serious charge sheets coming down the road over this. Yeah, and I mean we could talk for another hour, but mm. all of this began by, you know, the disinformation that spreads on social media caused a huge crowd to come into town at relatively short notice um i think we were seriously in a in a new war with social media i think mm. it can be used for good and for evil i mean i use x all the time but i also can't stand it at times but uh, i mean just the amount of people that came into town on short notice because of something um, that that was sent to them on social media uh it's scary um, i yeah, Very I scary. use Twitter. I use Twitter all the time. Uh, I, I love it. I have to say, I think it's fantastic and it's been a great boon to journalists and you do have to put up with an awful lot of crap. But it, it the positives, and I've made friendships on Twitter and, uh, you know, when people who I whose views and opinions I value greatly. So mm. it's wonderful. So I'll, de I'll, de I'll defend it. There are some bucket heads. Let them at it. I, do you know what? Actually, that's one funny thing. Do you ever check your mentions? Unfortunately, oh, well, sometimes. I, I tend not to, and people go bloopers when you don't answer them. I, I, just, I, I don't see it, so that's grand. Well, we used to be able to have disagreements without people yeah. putting your photograph up and making yeah. allegations about you, uh, about you, just because they disagree with you. I, I think it's, we're, we're living in a, in a scary time. Again, I could go on about that, but yeah. I'm not going to go on about oh, okay. it. But um, yeah, maybe we should do another pod on misinformation. Yeah. But, um, all I would say to people is, you know, if you're not sure about something, just you read it, just because you read it in a WhatsApp message, you know, check it and check it again. That's what we have to do as journalists. And I, we don't just put stuff out there willy nilly. We, we do check it. I, as someone who has been sued, I, I was involved in high court litigation 
happens. The jury decided no problem at all, no problem with it whatsoever. It's an occupational hazard. I would, I have seen more people threatening to sue over what is something that is said on Twitter. And let me tell you, for someone who has been there at the start all the way through, it's not a very nice experience. So I would urge people just before you hit send, measure twice, cut once and say, is this going to get me in the doo doo? Because it is a far from pleasant experience. Yeah, and while I'm a, I'm a big proponent of for speech, free speech, I do think that social media needs to be more properly monitored. I don't want to use the word policed, mm-hmm. but I mean, we're, we're, we're speaking oftentimes in code and being very careful not to identify people for legal reasons. And then somebody can go on YouTube, for example, and make a video about someone that we cannot name. No. And it can get over half a million views and it goes completely unchecked. But if we even slipped up for one second and named that person, we'd be sued. So something has to be done. Yeah, somebody was given out to me on threads. Like my first, well, you know, maybe a wee bit sarky comment on thread. I was talking about a certain criminal and he said, well, have, when you name this person, I'll have more, you can get more attention. And I said, no problem. You pay my legal bills and I'll do it, big lad. Not a problem. <laughs> That's it. This is it. We, we're held to a certain standard and I think social media needs to be held to a standard if it's going to survive and if we're going to be able to get out of the cesspit. That it currently is. So listen, on that chirpy note, uh, we'll be back hopefully later in the week, if not next week. Um, Pretty soon I am effing off for three wonderful weeks, but we will preload some pods for you and Mick's going to maybe do some in my absence. We'll see what happens. So thanks as ever for listening. Thanks very much. And I'll be on standby if anything major happens, but we will. We should have a couple in the bag. 